by the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right, now we're ready. Now we're ready. So I have loved this series so far. Last week we talked in John 3 about Nicodemus, right? And the series is never the same. And so the idea is these encounters, when you have an encounter with Jesus, you're never going to be the same. Now, last week we dealt with a religious person, a respected person in Nicodemus, and Jesus told him, you have to be born again. And so the message was to to the unbelievers, you have to be born again. And I sat and I watched in that back corner and we had a time, an altar call, and we were asking for anybody that wasn't saved. And nobody came up. And that's okay, because that means we're all family. We're all in the family of God. But I'm glad you're back this week, because this one in John 4 is to the woman at the well. And this message is to the believer. Meaning, it's not for the person next to you. This message is for you this morning. And I expect everybody to come up for prayer afterwards. It's funny. I actually heard a story. Somebody once asked a great preacher. They said, you give an altar call at the end of the service, every service. Do you you really think that people are going to respond every Sunday? And and the, the, the preacher said to the student, he said, listen, when you preach, you don't actually expect others to always come up, right? He said, no, no, no. He said, that's your problem. That's your problem. When we talk about the word of God, I expect that everybody is going to hear from God this morning. Everybody's going to encounter Jesus this morning. And that's what we're talking about. So this conversation that Jesus has just had with the woman at the well, this is an encounter, an encounter. So I looked up the word encounter, encounter, and it means this. It's a meeting with someone or something that is often unexpected but it's significant. It is significant. In this woman's life, she encounters Jesus, and it is significant. It is significant. I think of certain encounters. I once went to a men's retreat, and there was a gentleman by the name of John Van Steenhouse. That's quite a name, but John Van Steenhouse, he he actually owns a mortgage company in Houston and and throughout the South. You can look him up, thebearman.com. TheBearMan.com. This guy was living in the fast lane. He was a hunter. You know, his business was doing well. And he went up into the Pacific Northwest and he was hunting for moose. And as you could imagine, TheBearMan.com, he found more than a moose one day. He was attacked by a bear. He had an encounter with a bear. He could actually hear the teeth entering into his skull. And he tells people, that it wasn't by accident that he met that bear. It was for the glory of God. And now all he does, he's certainly still CEO of his company, but he travels the world to tell people about Jesus and how Jesus, he met that bear, but what he really did was he met Jesus on that mountain. And that's an encounter. I think of encounters I've had. I've had an encounter with a bank robber. I used to be a bank manager. No fun. I'll tell you about that one later. That's scary. The scariest time in my life was when the bank robber walked in. I saw people flipping over desks and I saw um, people just couldn't function. And the level of fear in that moment when that bank robber was in front of us flashing a weapon, he cocked the gun on somebody's head. I was terrified. It was like somebody, have you ever had somebody jump out at you like, boo! The problem was when that bank robber was there, it was like, and I just couldn't come down. I I was still up here. It would, for 43 seconds while he was in the building, I couldn't breathe. 
It was so terrifying. It was an encounter. But not all encounters are bad. I remember one day an encounter between the Wells Fargo off West Davis and the Walgreens. There was this young lady in an IS-250 Alexis. I still remember today what she was wearing. A black tank top, green shorts, and flip-flops. I knew that was special. I, I had seen, now, she was dating somebody else, but I knew I was going to marry that girl. I had an encounter that changed my life. She's, she's going to give me a hard time for that one, but there's lots of encounters, and here, this woman has had an encounter with Jesus, and that's, I want to follow this conversation because my first point this morning is an encounter with Jesus happens unexpectedly. Let's take a look. In verse 7, I want to pick up in verse 7. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. So the first part of the conversation is Jesus telling this woman of Samaria to give me a drink. But we really need to stop and ask the question, why is Jesus in Samaria? He shouldn't be because good Jews would not be in Samaria. A rabbi would not be in Samaria and certainly not talking to this woman. I want to give you an example from Jerusalem where we just saw Jesus was in John 3 to Cana where he's going, where he'll end up in the end of John 4. It's about 66 miles or roughly uh, from spring to Huntsville. What's the direct route if you're going to go from spring to Huntsville? I-45. It's a straight shot. Well, that's exactly where Samaria is located. It's roughly about where Conroe is in reference from spring to Huntsville. So it's a direct shot. If It's a beeline from Jerusalem to Cana. But good Jews would have gone from spring to Huntsville via Cleveland. They would have walked completely around Samaria. Because see, in 722 BC, uh, the, the, the king of Assyria attacks uh, uh, Israel, and he, he takes, he t- attacks the city of Samaria, and he actually removes all the Jews out of it, and he puts a bunch of people there from all different types of nations and, and uh, people groups and all that. And basically what happens is, is those people, they begin to intermarry, and those people bring in all their religions. So th- what Jews thought of Samarians were they were a half-breed people. And the Sumerians thought that at Mount Gerizim is where they were supposed to worship. Now, Pastor Alec is listening how I just said Mount Gerizim, and he's laughing right now. But a good Jew would not go through Samaria because in Samaria is where those half-breeds are. In Samaria is where those people that think that they truly worship God there, but the truth is that their pagan mixed religion is false and Jews would have gone completely around them. But here we find Jesus. And Jesus is telling this woman, and we see that it says at the sixth hour, so this is roughly at noon, and Jesus is coming from Jerusalem, so he's tired, he's thirsty, And he says to this woman, give me a drink. Verse nine, she said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, right? So this is, this does not escape her that this situation is off. It does not go past her that you shouldn't be asking me for a drink. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, 
a, a woman from Samaria. You see, she's there alone. She's come to, to the well alone. This is not an activity that women would do at noon. See, what happens is women would go early in the morning, it would be a social event, and they would be talking and gossiping and, I mean, talking. You know, it's funny. Women speak about 24,000 words a day. Men speak half of that. Did you know that? Yeah. And on some really good days, you might go to 27 or 28,000 words. Guys stay roughly at 12,000 the whole time. They can watch a football game for three hours and not say a word. Well, see, this woman was missing out on, on, on that activity. Why? Why is she coming at noon? Because this woman is a social outcast. We're, we heard as B read that she's had five husbands and now the man she's living with is, is not even her husband. This woman is socially acceptable even in Samaria. So she's going to come so she can hide. She's going to come so she can come to the well so no one will see her. But isn't it just like Jesus to meet you right where you are? And he says, give me a drink. And she sarcastically says back to him, wait, wait, you're a Jew. Why would you ask me for a drink? The second point this morning is an encounter with Jesus answers questions we didn't know we needed answers to. An encounter with Jesus answers questions we didn't know we needed answers to. In verse 10, Jesus says, he answers her, if you knew the gift of God, right? If you know who you're talking to and who it is that is saying this to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you this living water. You know what I love about this response from Jesus is he hears the sarcasm. He, he knows she doesn't quite understand. And yet now he's conversating with her. He is putting on his display of love and affection saying, I'm going to help you. I'm going to work with you. I'm here, to, I'm here to meet you right here. But she doesn't get it. She doesn't understand. What is this living water that Jesus is talking about? She's going to begin to focus on the physical water that's in the well. She, has, she hasn't quite gotten to the point that he's talking about eternity here. But don't we often, when we come to Jesus, we think about Jesus in, in the sense of what can he do for me at work? What can he do for me in my marriage? What can he do for me? And we don't realize that when, when you encounter Jesus, he changes everything and even all of your eternity. She's not getting it. But Jesus makes two claims here. He says, first, that if you would understand, he said, I am the gift of God, a gift of God. And the second is that he and he alone can give living water. Verse 11, she says to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? So she's just looking at Jesus and she's evaluating Jesus. He didn't bring a ladle a bucket, and he don't even look like he's ready to scoop his hands. But we do the same thing with Jesus, right? What can you do for me, Jesus? What are you possibly going to do for me? Because guess what? She probably brought a ladle. She probably has a bucket. And we often approach Jesus that way, that we come and say, Jesus, my own abilities will get me where I need to go. Because what can you do? 
do. And that's what she's asking here. She is focused on the physical well, and she doesn't understand the spiritual needs. She's not getting it. I, I, I tried to come up with an illustration for this, and my favorite commercial, favorite commercial is Jake from State Farm. Do you remember that? The guy's sitting, and it, it's, it's dark in the living room, and he says, I'm married. Can, can you do that for me? And the wife comes down the stairs. She's like, what? She's like, give me that phone. And then she said, who is this? And he's like, Jake from State Farm. And she's like, he sounds hideous. And he's like, well, he's a girl. All right, she's a girl. All right. She's a guy. I'm glad y'all have seen it. You get the idea, right? The wife completely misses it. And then she asks Jake from State Farm, what are you wearing? He's like, khakis. See, something was going on in that house, and this woman completely missed it. The, the wife. Well, that's what's happening here is, is this woman, Jesus is having a conversation, and it's completely flying over her head. I promise you, there are people in this room right now, Jesus wants an encounter with you, and you're completely missing it. You might be here today because it's the right thing to do. You might be here today because someone's expecting you to be here. You might be here and you're not even sure why. But I promise you, if you walked in this room and thought that you're going to walk out the same way, you're missing it. Just like this woman, Jesus wants to have an encounter with you that's going to change your forever. She doesn't get it though. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. So Jesus says, let me help you understand. You keep focusing on the physical. You keep focusing on your abilities and what you can do. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, he will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You see, everybody in that village is going to come to this well, and every one of them are going to drink it. And Jesus says, and everybody's going to be thirsty later. Daily they come, and Jesus is trying to give a picture of thirst and need that, that only Jesus can meet. I promise you, you have a thirst that can only be met by Jesus. You see, imagine that you're afloat in the ocean all by yourself, in, 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 a, in, a, in a little life raft, and, and the real problem is, is there's water all around you, but you can't drink it. We all know that salt water will kill you, right? There's, but that's just how life is, is we're, we're, we're surrounded by all of the things in this life and all of our abilities, but not a one of it will save you. Only unless the heavens open up and you're in that little raft and the rain comes down, would you happen to get something? And that's exactly what Jesus is saying, is unless you take this living water that will spring up to you up into eternity. You, you, you will thirst again and again and again. And we see that Jesus is still patiently loving on this woman. He's still, he's still encouraging her. He, he's not running. He's not leaving. He, he's willing to deal with her arguments. The same way that he's put up with your arguments. The same way he's put up every time you, you start off strong and then you fall away. Jesus is willing to stay in there. Jesus has made her an offer now. What he has offered to this woman, to anyone that would drink it, is something of eternal value with lasting satisfaction to fill that God-shaped hole that's inside of you and to her. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I will not be thirsty or have to come to draw water. 
She's still not getting it. She's still not getting it. You see, the problem here is she's saying, okay, I hear what you're saying. You're telling me that you've got a living water that'll make me not have to be thirsty again. Great. That means I don't have to come here at noon all by myself. Let me have some of this. You know what she's doing? What half of us do is we say, oh, life is pretty good. All I need to do is add Jesus to my already good life like he's some sort of first aid kit that he'll be there if and when I need him. See, she's not getting it and you're not getting it. Jesus is talking about something that when you encounter him, it changes everything. It's not something to be added to what you're already doing. It's not so that she doesn't have to come get water again. That's not what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus doesn't want you to add him or check him off a box or put him in the garage in case you need him. He's not a spare tire on your life. She thinks it sounds good, this offer. That's why many people come to church. Because it sounds pretty good. You mean all I have to do is just give my life to Jesus and then I'm going to be blessed? I can go to heaven? Man, that's a pretty good offer. I remember being a part of an evangelism team and I thought it was so cute with the name. It was the Matthew 937 Project. And it was really cool because... Matthew 9.37 says the fields are white, but the laborers are few. And we were going to go and teach people. You know what my big mistake was? Is I would just tell people, just believe in Jesus, say this little prayer, and you're going to be saved. Well, there's some truth to that. But a guy came up to me, an older gentleman. He said, listen, if they don't come in contact with their sin and how much they need Jesus, there's no real change. I said, who are you to tell me? I started the Matthew 9.37 project. But he was so right. He was so right. Because Jesus isn't something to be added. It's not a little prayer that we say and it's a magic pill. Too many of us are treating Jesus like that. Jesus wants you to have an encounter with him that's going to change your whole life. That brings us to point three. An encounter with Jesus reveals our brokenness. Our brokenness. See, verse 16, Jesus told her this. Go call your husband to come here. Uh Uh-oh. Jesus is getting personal. Jesus is up in her business. Jesus is about to do some soul surgery on this lady. This is not a, a weird request. The fact that Jesus at noon is in Samaria talking to a Samarian woman, and he's a rabbi, and she's an unmarried woman, that's weird. For him to say, go get your husband, is more culturally appropriate. But Jesus doesn't care about that. Jesus is going to meet you right where you are. And he says, go get your husband. Because her wounds, the ones that she carries, the ones that she's hiding from, and the ones that she's trying to avoid contact with other people, the social outcast that she is, she's coming at noon so she doesn't have to deal with it. And Jesus says, before we can talk about anything else, we have to deal with the sin in your life. You see, when you encounter Jesus, Jesus is going to bring that uncomfortableness up because sin has to be dealt with. And she answered him, I have no husband. I have no husband. You see, at some point, you got to get honest with Jesus. At some point, when you're at the foot of the cross, there's, no, there's nowhere to go. It's just you and Jesus. 
and here she is. And he's not doing this to harm her. He's doing this to heal her. How many times in your marriage have you tried to tuck things under the carpet only to find them jump out at the wrong time some other time? See, we have to bring these things to the surface and that's exactly what Jesus is doing and an encounter with Jesus will cause these things to come up. Verse 17 and 18, Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So he's gonna bring up to light her sexual immorality, her brokenness and her sin. She's caught. She can't hide. And I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of people that normally would come to church, but when they come into the presence of God, God begins doing soul surgery on them, and they don't want soul surgery. I don't want you to point out my mistakes. I don't want you to point out my addiction to pornography. I don't want you to point out I'm, I'm, I'm a bad steward with your finances, God. I don't want you to point out that I'm cheating on my spouse. I don't want you to point out that I'm stealing from my company. You see, when you encounter Jesus, these things begin to come up. And it's important. It's necessary. You see, earlier when Jesus came and asked her for a drink, we get a picture of his humanity. He was tired and he was thirsty. These are human traits and we see Jesus is very much human. Oftentimes we want to we want to talk about Jesus being divine and we want to under underplay how much of a human is. He is the God man. He is very much human. We needed him to be human and his humanity is on display. But now we're going to see that his godship is on display. In this encounter, we see that he is both human because he can meet me where I am. He understands my pain and my hurt. He doesn't care who you are or where you're at. He can meet you there. He has suffered like Sarah read today. We serve a high priest who has suffered, who can, who can, who can relate to us. He is very much human, but he is also God, which means he has the power to save you. He has the power to forgive your sins if you'll get honest with him. Verse 19, the woman exclaimed, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. I want to tell you something. She's trying, she's, she is uncomfortable at this moment. This is the reason people don't come to the altars. This is why people don't want accountability partners. This is why people don't want to be in life groups because there is a, an uncomfortability when you get honest with Jesus. And right now, Jesus has gotten honest with her. her. Her sin has been exposed. And you know what she's trying to do? Change the subject. What she's trying to do is wiggle out of this conversation. And there's been a lot of people, they've made it almost this far, and then they decide, you know what? Let me change the subject. Maybe next week. Maybe some other time, maybe at Easter, or maybe whenever. But the problem is when you wiggle out, you, you, you can't be right with Jesus if you're going to wiggle it out. And here's, here's, here's what she's going to try to do. She's going to say, Lord, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. Remember, the whole reason that, that, that good Jews walk around is because these guys have like a pagan mixed up faith. In fact, they had a temple here that was destroyed in, in, in roughly 122 B.C., uh, and, and, and she's going to try to bring that point up to try to goat Jesus into an argument. But Jesus isn't going to take the bait. Even in spite of all of our efforts to run, Jesus is going to stay. 
right there. Even in spite of all of our wiggling and all of the things that we're going to do, Jesus said, hey, listen, I'm not going anywhere. And the fact that you've had five husbands and now the man you're living with, that doesn't even make me want to run. Any good Jew at, the, at hearing that would be spiritually, ceremonially unclean. And yet Jesus didn't even bat an eye. He never flinched because your sin ain't going to do that to Jesus. He took all of our sin on the cross. There's nothing that you have done that is going to make Jesus run away. And he's not doing it here. You know, I, I'm the kind of person, like when I watch emotional movies, I have to crack a joke about in the middle because I can feel the tears coming up. Any of y'all like that? Matt Raven, don't let me on an island. Because I know B's going to cry, and I don't want to cry. So you know what I do is I just make a funny joke. But that's what the woman's trying to do here. She's trying to change the subject just so she doesn't have to deal with what God's wanting to deal with in her life. I know you didn't plan on coming here today and have God dealing with things in your life. You didn't want to get emotional. But I'll tell you, I remember the time that I gave my life to Jesus. It was in October of 1998. And I was sitting on the back row, right where George is. And, and the thing was, I was at school and, and I, you had to have your little ID card scanned. I thought it was like the mark of the beast. I hated everything about it. I didn't want to have, you know, they, they required us to go to chapel. And I was, I just wanted to hang out. I wanted to chase girls. I wanted to party. I was in college. I didn't want to, I didn't want to go to church. And this man was talking about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I know I had heard it all my life, but I, it had never hit home. But it was at that moment, at that moment, I found myself walking to the altar. Those were not my plans. I was sitting on the back row so I could be the first one out of there. And next thing I know, I find myself on the floor and I'm crying and I'm in tears and I'm doing that like ugly cry. You know what I'm talking about? Where you're like snotty, you're like, oh God. And God's dealing with me. And that's what God's doing with this woman. I promise you, I didn't want to ugly cry. I promise you, I had other plans. And you may have other plans. You're going to try to beat the Methodist to Ryan's. I get it. But Jesus wants to do something in your heart and in your life. He wants you to encounter him today. Y'all better say amen. An encounter with Jesus gets to the heart issue. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Listen up, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. See, we already talked about the Sumerians and the Jews. They had arguments about who was what. Listen, there's too many Christians today who think they're Christians that aren't Christians. Because you come to church, because you read your Bible, that does not make you a Christian. That's like walking into a garage and telling yourself, I'm a car. Because you're in a garage does not make you a car. Because you come into church, that does not make you a Christian. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, when you get on your knees and you say, God, I'm broken and I need you. Would you save me? I accept you and I want you to be Lord of my life. That makes you a Christian. And the problem, though, is there's too many people that you're living on that testimony. Uh-oh. See, I told you about 1998. What if I lived my life as if, hey, I checked off the Jesus box? 
I'm good. That's it. That's all I need to do. I'm going to heaven. That is not why Jesus just came. Yes, he wants to secure your eternal salvation, but Jesus saved you so that you could be an instrument in his hands to save other people. There are too many of us with dusty testimonies. What I mean is you haven't seen the power of God move in your life since 1998. Some of you, you haven't prayed for something and seen God work. Some of you don't live as if the Holy Spirit is directing your life. And heaven forbid that God would be Lord of your life. Because that's what he's asking. And that's the offer he's making to this woman. And she has a choice to make. I'm telling you, God wants to encounter you today. And he wants you to make a choice that you would live for him. And what that means is who's sitting on the throne room of, of your life. I had a hard time getting that out. Somebody is sitting on the throne room of your life. And I'm telling you, there are people in this room, you are sitting on that throne room. You have done more for the kingdom of yourself than for the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, I want to be Lord of your life. I want you to encounter me and I want you to worship me in spirit and in truth. And see, Jesus is looking forward to the cross. Jesus knows that all of that tradition that she's arguing, all that stuff that, that, that separates the Jews and Samaria, Jesus is going to fulfill every part of it. He is going to bring the new covenant in his blood, and it's about to take place. And when we worship God, we worship him in spirit and in truth. But here's what I love. Listen to what she says. The woman said, verse 25, I know the Messiah is coming. He who's called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Listen, something about the Sumerians, they only believe the first five books of the Bible, of the Hebrew Bible. The original translation right here doesn't say I am he, it just says I am. Do you remember what God told Moses when he was going to go and talk to Pharaoh? He said, who should I tell him has sent me? It's a name that God chose for himself. You tell him that I am that I am. I am is a name of God. This woman would have known this. Sumerians would have known this. This is in Genesis. Actually, that's Exodus 3. You can't be wrong in the pulpit, man. <laughs> Exodus 3. She would have definitely known this that Jesus is saying very much so, I am the Messiah, I am God, I am. But I wanna tell you something. Look at the progression and the growth of our young lady in this conversation. She first started out, and she, he, when he asked for a drink of water, she called him Jew. Next, in her conversation, she's gonna say, sir. After that, she's gonna say, I perceive you're a prophet. And now here she is at the feet of Jesus and she calls him Messiah. Do you see that? Do you see what's taking place? When you encounter Jesus, there's gonna be growth. There's gonna be progression. And I'm telling you, it's not enough to what happened in 1998. God wants you to grow. God wants you to continue in your relationship with him. It's about faith and repentance every day. Faith and repentance. I need Jesus as much today as I did in 1998, as much as I did five years ago, as much as I did yesterday, and guess what? Tomorrow, I'm gonna need him even more. But Chris, you're a pastor. Chris, you're in seminary. That doesn't matter. 
My relationship with Jesus Christ is that I, I am a broken vessel. I am in need of a Savior every morning, every, every day, every night, every moment. And you do too. And you do too. But here's what I really want to close with. Take a look at verse 39. We didn't read this. So this woman has now encountered Jesus. Look at the direct result of an encounter with Jesus. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of this woman's testimony. Guys, this is the social outcast. This is the woman that shouldn't be there. This is the woman that's coming hiding at noon. Because of her testimony, people are getting saved. She's a half-breed. She's got a past. She's not ready. People are getting saved. Because when you encounter Jesus, the power of God begins working in and through you, and people are going to recognize that you've been with Jesus. She tells them, he told me all that I ever did at the word of her testimony. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. Jesus is never going to leave you or forsake you. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, because now we've seen it for ourselves. We have heard it for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. I promise you, an encounter with Jesus is going to give value to every relationship that you have. You say, but listen, every time I talk to my parents, they're like, oh, don't give me that God stuff. Great. This is exactly, they wouldn't even give this woman time of day. And at her word, people are getting saved. Is that her? Did she learn the Bible quickly enough? Did she take some sort of online training? No, the power of God working through her because she was with Jesus. God wants to do the same thing. He wants to give value to every one of your relationships. An encounter with Jesus gave purpose to her life. Guys, she was a broken woman. She was ashamed and she was guilty and she could have, anybody could have stoned her at any point because that's what the law said. And now look at her. She's an evangelist for Jesus. Now look at her. People are coming to know the saving grace of who Jesus is because she just allowed God to work through her. God has given her purpose. I bet, we don't know, but I bet she the next day could come in the morning with the women to get water. Her life has changed because of an encounter with Jesus. And lastly this, an encounter with Jesus is going to be evident to everyone around you. See, I'm telling you, there's people here, you, you, you claim to be a Christian, but unless you tell somebody, there's not enough evidence in your life to convict you of being a Christian. Too many of us are treating Jesus like a magic pill. Just believe, just believe. Well, believe in being a Sagittarius or a Taurus or whatever. But this isn't what we're talking about. 
We're not talking about horoscopes. We're not talking about good luck. And we're not talking about a retirement system by having lucky numbers. We're talking about the savior of the world, the creator of the universe who wants a relationship with you. You were created to know him and have a relationship with him, but your sin has separated you from God. And when you invite him into your heart and into your life, he wants to be Lord. And that's important. That's important. So if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask the prayer partners to come up. I want you to say, Lord, I want you to be Lord of my life. But the second thing is this. There's too many people that never went from here to here. There's too many people that, that don't have value in their relationships because of the life-saving blood that's working through their life of Jesus Christ. There's too many people that don't have purpose and plan for their life, like where God's kingdom is working in your life, that it's evident. Because you've not really encountered Jesus. And the last thing is, you say you're a Christian, but it's not evident to anyone. Today's the day. Christian, listen to me. This same encounter that she had is available right here and right now. We're going to sing a song, and I want you to come up here. Listen, I don't care who you're with. I don't care who's watching you. What I want you to do is make the most important decision of your life. If there's ever been a day that you say, I've loved Jesus more than right now, you are backslidden. Come fix it. The same way Jesus did soul surgery on her, he wants to do soul surgery on you. Come fix it right here. They're going to pray with you right here. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by what you heard today. If you'd like more information about Champion Forest Baptist Church, our service times, or how you can get connected, visit us at championforest.org. Thanks so much. Have a great day, and God bless.